the well-coiffed Mike Johnson, as always, presentation of the Myers Automotive Group. How are you doing this morning, MJ? I am well. I've shaved and shined my shoes, so I'm good to go. Okay. Let's, let's get after it. Let's get after it. Okay. All right. And by the way, you're recovered from. I, I saw you know you fill us in on Thursday about your um, you know your your night doing the Flames game, the overnight, the red eye, back for the trade deadline desk. You said ten. I noticed you you're a little late. You had some flight delays, but you're all recovered now. You got to, you got that all in your system. We said ten, but when we took off at like. 2.30 in the morning, Calgary time, and landed about 8 a.m. Toronto time. Like, maybe make it 11. Okay. <laughs> we, we, we were dealing with traffic. We got home so late. So, um, wow. yeah, we got there more about 11. But, yeah, we got through it. It was a boring day. Not a lot going on, predictably. But uh, still a fun day to kind of get everyone in the studio together, which we don't usually get to do. You know, we, we all kind of scatter as colleagues all around the hockey world all year. We don't often actually physically get together, even though we're, we're talking all the time. So that, that was the best part about it, just kind of seeing everybody. I think you had set the uh, over-under on uh, on trade deadline day trades. at uh, was at 18 and a half, and it, it did actually come in somehow at 21, although there were some minor deals, <laughs> some very minor well, league deals along the way that helped put that to the over. Our official adjudicator, Kevin Gibson, our stats guy at TSN, said, no, no, only NHL or trades was 18 and oh. a half. And there were several trades in that 21 that did not involve any NHL <laughs> okay. players. So right. <laughs> I comfortably claim victory on right. the under. All right, good stuff. All right, how do you explain what happened to the Sens last night? Um, well, it you know, it happens. It, it's really, you know, sometimes they've played so well, so emotional, um, and so invested. And it's not like they played poorly to start the game. Um, you know, whatever the shots were, eleven to three when Chicago scored their first goal. Like they had plenty of looks; they were carrying the play. They looked like they were going to be a successful team that night. And uh, the goaltending position is one that can determine the outcome of the game, regardless of how well you play or prepare. And unfortunately, it was both sides. It was Chicago still playing so very well, um, maybe keeping Ottawa off the board, especially early when they probably deserved a better fate. And then it was Sogard in net for Ottawa, having a bit of a tough night where. When one goalie is great and the other goal is off, doesn't matter what anyone else does. And then I think as the game got to two and three nothing, you know the the structure and the kind of uh, all the things that we'd seen Ottawa do well the last few weeks slipped away from their game. It happens. You know you're never going to run off 25 games in a row. You're going to lose even when you play great five of those 20 games. Uh, in many ways, we were joking before. You might like to see it against a team better than Chicago. I personally would rather see it against Chicago because at least they're not competing for points. Like, I don't want to lose to Pittsburgh because Pittsburgh's better. Like, give me a, give me a team that's nowhere near us in the Western Conference. Okay, that's a bad loss. We'll, we'll move on past it um, and, and get ready for the next one. But I think it's more just a function of largely the goaltenders early were really good at one end and, and not so good in the other. And also, in a crazy way, MJ, is there almost a sense of relief in Chicago that, hey, everyone's moved and this is our career the rest of the way? There is that, you know, it's, it's, it's a narrative that's out there, and it can be a true time that, that the, the teams that are right out of it, that have made trades, that are playing young guys, they are occasionally difficult to play against because there is nothing to lose. They can play fast and free and care, carefree, and if it all works well, they look good. Now, there's several nights where they will play that way and it doesn't work well, and then it becomes an easy game, easier than another opponent. But last night was an example of a team that, you know, when you when you are at this point where Chicago is, and I've been on teams like that, um, you don't worry about a thing for the and There's no pressure whatsoever. You're just out there playing. you got young young kids that aren't in the NHL usual playing bigger roles or whatever it might be, and it can sometimes become a more difficult game as well. 
One of the uh, discussion points we had before the on yesterday's show before the game was uh, after we had seen Jake Chikorin uh, score on that big bomb on uh, on Saturday night, uh, and he, you know he's got a history of being able to score goals like that. There was evidence right there. This guy's got a shot. And if there is a um, a, a criticism of of Thomas Shabbat uh, on the power play in particular is that, that there is a reluctance to shoot the puck. Uh, and maybe there's not from, you know, the other team's penalty killers, maybe not uh, the respect that there needs to be for someone and thought, well, are we going to see a point at some point where Chikrin may go to the number one power play? Well, boom, last night, I mean, it was 4 nothing, but a 5-on-3, and it was Chikrin out there with the rest of the number one unit and not Thomas Shabbat. Thomas Shabbat is a real team guy, no doubt about that. From uh, my perspective, I have no issues there. But how difficult might that be for him? New guy comes into town and, boom, three games into it, he's already kind of taken my spot, as it were. Well, I, I think you have to make a very clear distinction between a five-on-three and a five-on-four because I, I would not change a thing in the five-on-four. There's a reason why Ottawa scored the second most power play goal in the league, and Thomas Shabbat is one of those reasons. He works really well. And quite frankly, like you want to have point shots that people respect. You don't want to take point shots in a five-on-four. Like That's not a high-percentage way to run a power play Numbers have borne that out. You, you just don't want to do it. It's, it's a low percentage play. But in a five on three, you want a shot threat because that's not at the blue line anymore. That's more like the tops and the circles because you kind of compress the zone as you get a little bit tighter to the net and you can run different options if you can score from the tops of the circles. It makes sense five on three. I don't think it makes a lot of sense five on four. And hopefully Thomas Shabbat would appreciate that because it can be as exciting as it is mm-hmm. when new players come and Shabbat's got his contract. So that also makes it a little bit more palatable point of the matter is if you lose your spot because someone is brought in and you're on a good team and you're playing a good role that doesn't make you happy you know if you're a competitor you want to play you want to contribute to your team's success so um but i don't think this would be a long-term first power play unit five on three makes sense five on four i don't think we'll see that anytime soon how nice is it mj to finally see some internal competition at the same time because for a long time it was thomas shabbat and just about nobody else behind him well, I mean, and you, and you can dump Sanderson in there as well as a guy who's going to be, yeah. you know, competing for minutes and high leverage roles and offensive situations. And, and I think it's good. And it's, it's been mentioned several times by several people. And, and we all know Thomas Shabbat is an excellent player. Really very good. But we've also seen Ottawa ask him to do too much. Play too much. Defend too much. Do everything too much. And I think he becomes better. Shabbat becomes better with the idea that there's Sanderson on the scene and Chikrin on the scene. That they just, he doesn't have to do he doesn't have to do everything to the same degree, um, and, and that will make him better as well as the team as a whole. So uh, yes, a little internal competition is never a bad thing um, as long as it's healthy, and I'm sure it is in Ottawa right now. And and Shabbat will probably be better off for it when it's all said and done. Since the last time we talked to you, which was a Thursday, that was uh, in the hours after the Jake Chikrin trade had been made, and since then he has played three games. Uh, the win in New York, the win at home in which he scored a goal, and then the game uh, last night. From what you <clears throat> excuse me, have been able to, to see so far, um, you know, what, what, is, what are your thoughts on, on, on the fit in particular on the Ottawa defense? So the interesting part is that they, for a lot of time, they've rolled three left-shot defensemen, right? We've talked a lot about that, that other top-four guy, and when he play with Sanderson on his offside, but see DJ occasionally play him on the left and go Shabbat, Sanderson, Chikrin, or whatever order you want to put it in. And I drew the comparison, not maybe to the same degree, but when Tampa was at their best, what were their defensemen? It was it was Hedman, McDonough, Sergachev. Three left-shot guys that all kind of, 
partnered up with righties who were maybe not quite as good as the lefty, but turned into like the best defense in the league. And, and maybe that's where their mindset is. You see him move the puck well. You see him jump up. Um, you know, you, you see him being physically strong. All the things that we know he's good at. Um, so yeah, he, he kind of comes as advertised. He's a very good player. But what I like, and what I think probably the Senators like, is that um, the clips of him talking about being an Ottawa Senator and getting emotional with his sister and his grandfather in the stands. And, and, I, and I think for every team, but Ottawa maybe more so, having players that really want to play there for that organization matters and, and, it, and it resonates. And it's not always the case. You know, not every team people are happy to go to. And I thought like, that was lovely to see. And if you're, and if you're, Ottawa, you're like, that's the kind of guys we want on this team. We want guys that, like, you know, it means something for them to be here, and it looks like it means something for Jacob Chipper to be an Ottawa senator. On and off the ice, and also with what you had to give up, is it almost a dream scenario of how this is fit, MJ? Yeah, I mean, you know, we were we were wondering what Jared Doran was going to do, if ever. We were wondering what um, Bill Armstrong was going to do, if ever. But the fact that Doran was able to wait him out and really pay the price that makes sense for um, for the Ottawa Senators. It, 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 yeah, yeah, it, it really, it, it, you'd feel so good about it because um, it, it was on Ottawa's terms. They got the player they want that fits in just the way they like for the right price that makes the right amount of money. It's really a, a, a great fit. Um, it took a long time to get it done, but when it finally was done, um, it was done well. So uh, normally, uh, in the old days, we'd say uh, after a performance like that, uh, would you quote burn the tape? We don't deal with tape anymore. We, de- uh, t- uh, you know, we deal in video and laptops. So would you throw the laptop in the garbage if you're DJ Smith and say, you know, that was that was, you know, to your point earlier, we're kind of due for one, and not look at any video from that game last night, or when they get back to practice, I guess it's tomorrow in Seattle. Do you incorporate some of what went wrong, some of the November sins, as we've been calling it, that crept into their game last night? Do you do, do you do some corrections on that? Yeah, I think you probably do. I think you probably do. You probably um, you 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 want to talk about what remind the team of the habits that they have developed that have made them so successful, and nip it in the bud. The, the, the puck management, the the bad routes, the, the turns to the board, the opening up the middle of the ice. Some of those things, even in a game where they dominated, you remind them. Listen, guys, we still have to manage the puck, manage our defense, protect our goaltenders. The offense will take care of itself. So yeah, you probably give them, you don't you know bury guys for you know making it just a vicious forty five minute video session of all things gone wrong, but just a reminder: these are the things we have to do all the time to give ourselves the best chance to be successful, and that includes tightening up a little bit defensively. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to get your thoughts just overall on the on the wild card race in, uh, in the Eastern Conference uh, as it sits right now. The Islanders and Pittsburgh are in the two spots, uh, and then you've got Buffalo, Ottawa, Florida, Washington, Detroit, all within seven points. Uh, of that uh, final playoff spot. When it's all said and done, as we get toward the last two weeks of the season, let's say, how many of those seven teams do you think will still be in the race? Like, wh- what is the real race, in your opinion, uh, in the mm. Eastern Conference wildcard? Which teams? Yeah, that's a, it's a very good question. And you, you kind of chew on it, you look at it. Um, I mean, I guess you probably you probably would say Washington on up, you know? Uh, Washington, Florida, Ottawa, Buffalo will all be battling with Pittsburgh and the Islanders. I guess there's six teams there. 
Um, you know, you're kind of waiting for Washington to go away, but they've won a couple games. I don't really think they're in it, but they'll be around it. Florida, the game's played, starts to look a little bit dicey, but you, you can't discount that they could possibly go on a run and, and, and stay around it. Uh, so I would say six teams will be close to it. Um, I would probably eliminate Washington practically, but they'll be the points percentage will be close enough that they will feel as though it is, which is fascinating because it was it's so different than last year where the East was settled by like Christmas. Um, not the case at all. Like it's going to come right down the wire. The Islanders look like they're in good shape, but they played two or three more games than everyone. And when you're only four points ahead, two or three games matters a lot. So it's going to be clustered until the end of the year between those six teams. When the season's over, who do you think will be in seven and eight, MJ? Um, I think uh, probably the two teams that are there. Probably the two teams that are yeah. there. Mm. I mean, you know, Pittsburgh is has been scrappy for a while now, but it's Pittsburgh and you kind of defer to uh, Sidney Crosby and his ability to kind of find a way to lead his team. And then the Islanders. What, what would concern me if I'm the team chasing the Islanders is that because of their goaltending, they're going to kind of be in every game. So even on games where they don't play well, they'll have a chance to pick up points, and that makes them dangerous. feels as though, what, like 94 points might get it done. Islanders have 17 games left. They're at 72, so 94 points would take 22 points. 11 and 6, that might be asking a lot. 10 and 7 gets them to 92. Maybe it's 92 points, guys. So yeah. you just run the numbers on 92 points for the Sens. That means they need 24 and 19 games, 12 and 7. Certainly doable given the pace they played on. But that's sort of, you know, you look at when you're shuffling through the teams and it's a lot of kind of white noise to try to flush out. Think 92 points. Think 93 points. In that area, we'll have you right at the playoff line. So that's the kind of record and that's how many losses these teams can incur. Islanders can lose six. Sens can maybe lose seven. Like that's where they're at right now the rest of the year. Yeah, I was just doing the math while you guys were, were chatting there on, on uh, current pacing. So i got Pittsburgh right now at 94, and the mm-hmm. Islanders are actually at 91. Buffalo's at 90 right now. So could it be as low yeah. potentially as even 92 points, potentially? Uh, absolutely. Twenty Like 10 and 7 for the Islanders, who are in seventh place by points, yep. would get them to 92. Like that's, like, you know, that's, that's the point, place they're on. It is absolutely possible that it's not a 97-point year, it's a 92-point year, 91-point year, which is great news for Ottawa because right. it brings it more to a more feasible number for them to go on a run for another six weeks to try to get right around there. Um, but it does bring that number to Buffalo and to Florida and to Washington, to all those teams trying to get there. Um, it gets a little bit closer. Do you have any idea what to expect between Tampa Bay and Toronto in the first round for where the clubs <laughs> are at right now? Oh, my goodness. Like, it's so strange, isn't it? Yeah. And I find it fascinating. You know, obviously, I live in Toronto, and I cover the Leafs a lot. And, um, you know, the the nature of the Leafs fandom right now, where every win is order the rings, and every loss is we're the worst team of all time. Meanwhile, down in Tampa, and, like, it's all like, oh, they're poised for another loss. They can't beat Tampa. A bunch of losers in Toronto. They don't know how to get it. Meanwhile, in Tampa, they're benching their best players. They're getting waxed the next game with four shots through two periods. Um, they're getting pounded left and right, and no one's concerned at all. It's like, well, well, they've won, so they'll know how to turn it on. And they might, but it's just amazing the past success of Tampa gets them so much benefit of the doubt, and the past failures of Toronto gives everyone um, cause for kind of panic on, on any little thing that comes up. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm assuming Tampa plays better. 
I'm assuming Toronto will play well because Toronto generally plays well against good teams and has all year long, so long as they're healthy. But who knows about that now? We have O'Reilly's basically out until the playoffs, and Tavares is not feeling himself or whatever, not feeling right after a couple of big, big hits, which is also scary. So, um, And Austin Matthews hasn't been the same. It's just, yes, question marks abound for two teams that you thought you knew exactly who they were. You're maybe not quite so sure right now. How much does John Cooper weigh uh, in his decision to sit those three players down for an entire period in a in a still winnable game Saturday against Buffalo? Uh, how much does he weigh, you know, kind of the success the team has had in his decision to do that? Because I would think MJ is a former player. Like, you know, we're talking about star players here. That was mm-hmm. very embarrassing. So for him to do, I, you know, he knows what he's doing. You know, he's he knows that what the what the uh, talk of after the game is going to be like. Kind of take us through the decision to do that and what you think might be the result. Like, could it be something that goes completely south on him, potentially? Um, I mean, I would say the second part's an easier question. The answer is no. I mean, I think that team is too good. Those players are too good. And they would respond, even though they didn't the next game. I, I think it tells you how secure John Cooper is in his job. Because I think a lot of coaches would be hesitant to, to make that kind of very bold, very public um, display of of what they think of their best players of games, but because they've had success, and he's done this before. I mean, I've called games where Kucherov didn't play for a period and a half. Not all three of them, but for Kucherov specifically because, you know, he didn't like what he saw. But the more concerning thing is that if you're a coach and you decide to exercise that option, I'm going to sit my three best players, point Kucherov and Stamkos for an entire period uh, to prove a point that they're not playing well you are completely counting on a response the next game. And the next game was the one against Carolina where they were absolutely blitzed. So like, that's the more concerning thing. Okay. Well, hang on. I, I went to the most aggressive option I could go to. And then we still got, did not get the, you know, any sort of reaction that would be concerning. But you wonder if you're a team like Tampa, given all that they've done the last few years, if this is sort of the, the moment where they know who they're playing they want to get home ice, but it doesn't really matter. They didn't have home ice last year, and they made it to the final. Um, if it if it's like maybe their attention and their focus is waning a little bit because there's not a lot for them to play for. Right. They're just kind of biding their time until they get there, and maybe they think they can turn it on closer to. But, you know, there might be something to that given all the hockey they've played lately. I know good players and good coach, but you also look at this and realize any relationship at times in, in sports runs out, MJ, that, hey, maybe a new voice at the end of the season might make sense for as good as Cooper's been. Uh, well, that's a big stretch. I don't <laughs> yeah. know. I mean, yes, always. Yeah. But like that's, I think that's a bit aggressive. Like They're still one of the best teams in the league. I think the greater, the, the more accurate um, kind of conclusion would be God, it's really hard to play as much as they have year after year after year. Like it's it's different hockey now than when the Islanders did it, and when the Oilers, like you know, I mean, like this, the whole pace of your life is different now than it was then. And I just wonder if that's the statement. Like, you know, it's hard physically, it's hard emotionally and mentally to do it every game for as long as they've done it for like three or four years in a row. All right, good stuff. Are you doing the uh, Toronto Jersey game tonight? I am. Yep. I was excited for it, but then I see this roster. For Toronto, now they may end up winning this game, but like their <laughs> second line center tonight is Sam Lafferty, and their third line center is David Camp, and their fourth line center is Pontus Holmberg. That is not like the murderer's row they thought they had when they brought in Ryan O'Reilly. So um, it's going to be a tough one for Toronto because Jersey is very, very good. Yeah, good chance to see uh, Timo Meyer in his first home game as well. So should be a yep. good one. Two uh, 
Eastern Conference powerhouses. All right, appreciate the time as always. Enjoy the game tonight, and we'll uh, chat with you again on Thursday. All right, guys. Chat soon.